Lord, we do pray that you would cause your word to come alive in us. Lord, we do pray that you would give us passion for your purity, Lord, and that you would breathe new life into us. So, Lord, as we um, dig into your word, pray that you would come, Holy Spirit, and anoint the preaching of your word. Pray that you would fall afresh on every home, every vehicle, every kitchen table, every place where people are gathered to hear your words. Lord, would you anoint us to hear? Would you anoint us to obey? Lord, would you build your kingdom in and through us? In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, Gold Avenue Church family and friends. This is Pastor Jalisa, and I'm so happy to be digging into the word with you this morning or afternoon or evening, whatever it is for you. As a community, we've been walking through the books of Ezra and now into Nehemiah, and we've been talking about building God's kingdom as we followed along with God's chosen people, the exiles, as they've returned to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Last week, we met Nehemiah, the cupbearer to the Persian king Artaxerxes. Through his brothers who had been to Jerusalem, Nehemiah had learned that the walls and the gates that surrounded the city of Jerusalem were in ruins and that the people were living in chaos. And in response, Nehemiah had been willing to share God's broken heart. He grieved and he sought the Lord's guidance. And in response, the Lord put his hand of favor over Nehemiah and prompted King Artaxerxes himself to send Nehemiah, along with protection, safety, and lumber, back to Jerusalem to rebuild. While Nehemiah was working with physical walls and gates, as we looked at the prophet Isaiah, who spoke of this city of Zion, this kingdom of God that we talk about, we learned that in the city of God, the walls of protection are the truth of salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that the gates, the things that let things in and out, have to do with worship and lives lived in worship. And today we're going to keep going with Nehemiah as he enters into Jerusalem and begins the work of rebuilding. And so we're going to be reading from Nehemiah chapter 2. And I'm going to start at verse 11. And then we're going to read all the way to chapter 3, verse 32. So here we go. Nehemiah 2:11 I went to Jerusalem that's Nehemiah and after staying there 3 days I sat out during the night with a few others I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on By night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. 
because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zachar, some of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hekaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshullam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezebel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Banah, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. The Jesenah gate was repaired by Joida, son of Peseah, and Meshalam, son of Besodiah. They laid its beams and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah, Melatiah of Gibeon and Jadon of Maranoth, places under the authority of the governor of the trans-Euphrates. Uziel, son of Harhiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Raphiah, son of Hur, ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Adjoining this, Jediah, son of Haramath, made repairs opposite his house, and Hattush, son of Hashobniah, made repairs next to him. Malkijah, son of Haram, and Hashob, son of Pehath-Moab, repaired the other section, and the Tower of the Ovens. Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. The valley gate was repaired by Hanun and the residents of Zenoah. They rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. They also repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. 
The Dung Gate was repaired by Melchijah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarem. He built it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. The Fountain Gate was repaired by Shalon, son of Kolhose, ruler of the district of Mizpah. He rebuilt it, roofing it over and placing its doors and bolts and bars in place. He also repaired the wall of the Pool of Siloam by the King's Garden, as far as the steps going down from the city of David. Beyond him, Nehemiah, son of Azbuk, ruler of half-district of Bethzur, made repairs up to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool of the House of Heroes. Next to him, the repairs were made by the Levites, under Rehum, son of Bani. Beside him, Heshabiah, ruler of half the district of Kaliah, carried out repairs for his district. Next to him, the repairs were made by their fellow Levites under Benuai, son of Henadad, ruler of the other half-district of Keliah. Next to him, Azer, son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section from a point facing the ascent to the armory as far as the angle of the wall. Next to him, Baruch, son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section from the angle to the entrance of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. Next to him, Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hekaz, repaired another section from the entrance of Eliashib's house to the end of it. The repairs next to him were made by the priests from the surrounding region. Beyond them, Benjamin and Heshub made repairs in front of their house, and next to them, Azariah, son of Messiah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs beside his house. Next to him, Benuai, son of Henadad, repaired another section, from Azariah's house to the angle in the corner. And Palal, son of Uzai, worked opposite the angle and toward the projecting, toward the tower projecting from the upper palace near the court of the guard. Next to him, Padiah, son of Parosh, and the temple servants living on the hill of Offal made repairs to a point opposite the water gate toward the east and the projecting tower. Next to them, the men of Tekoa repaired another section from the great projecting tower to the wall of Offal. Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house, and next to them, Zadok, son of Immer, made repairs opposite his house, and next to him, Shemaiah, son of Shechaniah, the guard of the east gate, made repairs. And next to him, Hananiah, son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaf, repaired another section. Next to them, Meshullam, son of Berechiah, made repairs opposite his living quarters, and next to him, Melchijah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants opposite the inspection gate, and as far as the room above the corner, and between the room above the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and merchants made repairs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, some of you know this already. It might be news for some of you, but I really, really love Anne of Green Gables, both the books and the movie series. Um, and I know that I've got some kindred spirits in the crowd who are with me on this, and so I hope you're excited. But anyway, early on in this season of slowing down and staying home, I decided that I should probably rewatch all the Anne movies again for like the umpteenth time. Because why not? <laughs> um, and as, as I was preparing for this sermon, I was reminded of one specific character in the Anne series named Catherine 
Brooke, Catherine with a K. Catherine is the headmistress, sort of like the principal at a school that Anne works at. And when we meet Catherine, she's just super unlikable. She's cold and she's strict and she's condescending. There's nothing warm or kind or inviting about her. Catherine's constantly getting after Anne for ridiculous little things and she has absolutely no kindness or grace for her students. As the story goes on, we see Catherine repeatedly choosing to be bitter and cold and walled off, no matter how many times people try to be kind to her. As the summer holidays approach, Anne graciously invites Catherine to come and spend the summer with her at Green Gables, which is Anne's beautiful childhood home. And after a little bit of a squabble, Catherine agrees and goes home to Green Gables. Throughout the summer, we get glimpses of why Catherine is the way that she is. We find out that Catherine was not loved by her parents and that both of them were deeply broken people. Catherine was orphaned at a young age and shipped off to an unkind couple. No matter what Catherine did to earn their affection, she was treated poorly. Catherine Brooke had never been loved or cared for. She knew herself to be the rejected one, the unlovable one and the one who would never really be happy. Life was never going to get any better, and so Catherine had been stuck that way. She was a victim resigned to the sad reality that life was as good as it's going to get for Catherine. Alone, bitter, and miserable. And when Nehemiah sets foot in the city of Jerusalem, he finds a city full of Catherine Brooks. Exiles had been back in the city of Jerusalem for literally decades, nearly a hundred years. And despite the leadership efforts of guys like Joshua and Zerubbabel and Ezra, the city walls still lay in ruins and the scorched gates have yet to be repaired. And without those gates and without those walls, the people are exposed to constant attack and harassment from the neighboring people, which we'll hear more about next week. But things are not going well at all in Jerusalem. The exiles are so stuck in their ways and so used to their broken down world that God had to commission a cupbearer all the way in Persia to come and set things straight. And we've really got to ask ourselves this question of why. Why, after decades of being in the land, has no one thought, hey, you know, it might be helpful if we rebuilt the walls and gates. Maybe we won't keep getting robbed and attacked and harassed if we built up the walls and the gates. Walls and gates keep enemies out. They provide safety. Fixing them is the most logical thing to do. But they don't do it. Why? I think if our, <coughs> excuse me, I think if our exiles could speak, they might sound a little bit like Catherine Brooke. But we're exiles. We're the rejected ones. We're the ones that are always getting beat up and harassed. Life's just always been this way, and this is as good as it's going to get. Why would we even try to change things? It would take way too much work. For decades, they've believed this. And so they've just lived in squalor. 
They made peace with the chaos. They've become numb to the attacks because they refuse to believe that things could be better. They refuse to do the hard work of looking at the rubble and doing something about the scorched gates. Instead of picking up their own tools, they've sat around waiting for someone else, some Ezra or Zerubbabel, to come along and fix it for them to prove that things could really be different. This is the great trouble and disgrace that Nehemiah's brothers had initially reported to him. It is what it is. This is as good as it's going to get. Complacency. Apathy. Victimhood. Now, it's easy to be hard on the exiles. Why would anyone choose to look at rubble, broken down walls every single day? And not do anything about them. Why would anyone willingly choose to live exposed to their enemies? And yet, if the walls around the city of God, the spiritual kingdom that you and I are invited into, if those walls are made of the very gospel of Jesus Christ, and if those gates are bolted in by lives lived as acts of worship, And if we're really being honest, there's probably some bricks missing from our walls. Spots in our own lives that have yet to be impacted by the fullness of the gospel. If we're honest, we might have a few gates singed and swinging off their hinges. We've got areas in our lives that don't bring glory to God. Parts of our inner being in our lives and spirits that are perpetually open to attacks from the enemy, accusations, criticism, fears, and doubts. When we look at our less than fulfilling devotional lives or quiet time and think, meh, it's how it's always been for me, so it's probably as good as it's going to get. Why should I try harder? When we can't seem to tackle that sin issue, that one temptation that always seems to be knocking at the door and we think, you know, this has always been my my struggle, my cross to bear, and it always will be. So I may as well just let it go. When we've been angry and bitter or anxious and afraid for so long that we don't even remember why. We're so used to those things being part of who we are that we don't even think about what Jesus might say or do about them if we let him. When we watch the news or even just look around at our own lives and see the unhealth and the chaos and the disorder and we think, man, just is what it is. May as well get used to it. Are there areas in our own souls, in our own behavior and emotions and worldviews, the way that we think, that are not shaped, formed and protected by the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? The good news of his death, life, and resurrection and the reality that he is making all things new. That in him nothing is impossible. That we have his grace and his life and his power and his purposes. Are there areas of our lives where we are perpetually open to the attacks of the enemy of our souls? Broken aspects of ourselves and our relationships that we've just sort of given up on. 
hearts. Proverbs 25, 28 tells us whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. But you know, I think that it's one of the most profound things about the character of our God that no matter how many times humanity gives up and lets those walls get broken down, our God never gives up on his people and his purposes. Our God is always looking for someone who is willing to stand firm and to rebuild with him. And Nehemiah, he was willing So here we see Nehemiah, and he somehow enters Jerusalem quietly with a military escort and a pile of Persian lumber, but he tells no one why he's here. And after three days, Nehemiah sets out at night to examine every inch of the walls and gates of the city. Now, that word examine has a couple meanings. One is a medical term, and it means to probe a wound in order to see the extent of damage. And the other is to inspect with hope and expectation. So Nehemiah rides his mount, his horse or donkey, around the outside of the city. He goes out through the valley gate towards the dung gate. That's the gate where trash and waste would have been put out of the city. And then he goes towards the fountain gate and the king's pool. Now this is the gate that leads to the healing pool of Siloam, where Jesus sent the blind man to go and to be healed. But Nehemiah can't get to that fountain gate or to that healing pool because the rubble is so severe. So Nehemiah keeps going around the walls and when he's satisfied with his inspection, He enters back in through the valley gate and still no one knows what he's up to. Finally, after he's examined everything and sat with the Lord and weighed the cost, finally he gathers the officials and he does something really beautiful. Nehemiah comes alongside them and he says, hey, you see this trouble that we are in together. The walls and the gates are ruined. We're exposed. We're living in rubble. Let's rebuild them. Let's do something about our disgrace. Nehemiah goes on to share his testimony of God's hand of favor upon him with King Artaxerxes. Listen, he says, I'm a cupbearer. I'm not a carpenter. I'm not a military leader. And God literally convinced the king of Persia to send me here with a military escort and with lumber. Now, I can imagine this being almost a comical scene. Like, guys, look at me. Look at this lumber. If God can do this, this is his mission and he will help us. Look at what our God has done. And the officials are stirred up by the hope that Nehemiah brings. And they say, let us start rebuilding. And then it says they began this good work. Literally, that comes out to they strengthened their hands for the work. And then comes the opposition. And, you know, it's actually really beautiful. You can hear the hope and the resolved courage in Nehemiah's response. He says, the God of heaven will give us success. We're going to build. 
But as for you, you no longer have any part of Jerusalem. It's like he's saying, God is going to help us rebuild this city. And he's going to build the walls so high and those gates so strong that we won't even be able to hear your voice from outside anymore. And what follows are 32 verses characterized by hope, obedience, and hard work. These are 32 verses that feel like a list, but they're riddled with beauty. First, Eliashib, the high priest and the fellow priest, the people responsible for the righteousness of the people of the city, they first build the sheep gate, the gate where the flocks would come and go, a gate for the very Lamb of God. They start there and they dedicate it or they consecrate it unto the Lord. And then the rest of the building commences. 35 times in this chapter, we see the words repaired or made repairs. And the root of this word means to build up, to strengthen. And we see this implication later in Ephesians where Paul's talking about building up the saints for the works of God. Then in verse 5, we see something strange. This section of the wall is built up by the men of Tekoa. But their nobles would not put their shoulders to work. They would not submit. The leaders, the nobles of Tekoa are unwilling to build. And forever, their names are here as those who would not. And yet later we see those same men of Tekoa building another section. They're honored twice. It's interesting, again, as we go through this list, we see no carpenters. We've got a cupbearer leading a bunch of priests, perfume makers, goldsmiths, and local leaders. It seems God uses whoever is willing and available to do his best work. In verse 11, we see Melchizedek, son of Haram. Now, this is a man we saw listed at the end of Ezra. He's one of those who had married a pagan woman in the land, but he'd been willing to repent. And now here he is on this day, alongside the rest of Jerusalem, rebuilding in obedience. In verse 12, we have a man named Shalom who repairs a section of the wall with the help of his daughters. Willing women listed among a host of men. In this list, we also see four men who repaired the walls just outside of their own homes. We see Jediah whose name means he who calls unto God. We see Benjamin, whose name means son at my right hand. Zadok, whose name means justice. And Meshullam, whose name means devoted. They build outside of their homes. Now, Meshullam is not listed as having a house. It says Meshullam built across from his dwelling or a small room. Meshullam is a poor man, and yet here he is rebuilding the section of wall that is his. These men saw the brokenness in their own walls, and they were willing to go to work. And then we've got Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, listed as the keeper of the east gate. But apparently Shemaiah had already built back that east gate because he moves down the wall, and he helps his brothers rebuild 
the horse gate. In verse 20, we see Baruch, son of Zabai, who Nehemiah tells us is zealously or passionately repairing the section of wall near the high priest's home. So this high priest is building the gate of sheep and someone else is willing to build the walls near his home. Next to him, next to him, next to him. We read it a couple dozen times in this chapter alone. Can you see it? Can you hear the swell of hammers and chatter and singing as the people of God, shoulder to shoulder, rebuild the walls and gates of God's holy city? This looks like a pretty long, boring, complicated list, but really it's so incredible. One man comes with hope, vision, faith, and courage from the Lord, and he says yes. And the hand of God's favor rests upon him, and he breathes that life into the people, and they begin to rebuild. Shoulder to shoulder, brick by brick, bolt by bolt, bar by bar, with submission, selflessness, and zeal. And the city is rebuilt. Church family, God has called us to build lives that reflect his kingdom. And I don't know about you, but when the story of God's kingdom is written down, I really want my name to be on a list like this somewhere. I don't want the credit, but I don't, I don't want to be like those nobles of Tekoa who were not willing to put their shoulder to work. No matter how many times humanity gives up, our God doesn't. And he's always looking for people who are willing to stand firm and to build with him. People who are willing to not just look at the nice things, but to look at the broken things in our own walls and gates. People who are willing to work with zeal and hope and courage shoulder to shoulder to help brothers and sisters with their own broken pieces. Church family, are we willing to ride around the walls of our own lives? Our relationships, our homes, our communities, our very culture. Are we willing to probe and examine the depth of the broken pieces? that do not reflect the fullness of the gospel? And are we willing to view them with hopeful expectation of the repairs that our God can make when we cooperate? Are we willing to shore up those burnt up gates where the enemy gets in? To worship until there's a breakthrough and to see every Every moment, every broken thing is an opportunity to give God glory for what he can do. Friends, today we have such an advantage over Nehemiah and the exiles. We have the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The truth that all of our enemies have been defeated. 
The truth that our Savior sits enthroned above, sovereign and good over all. And we have the power of his Holy Spirit living in us. Spirit that gives us wisdom and truth and power to really build and make change. We are those who are being made new. Living in a world that God is making new in and through us. And we have been given all that we need to take the rubble of this world and to be part of building back God's glorious kingdom to come. Are we willing to build? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Nehemiah, who is willing to say yes and to take his cues from you. We thank you that he was willing to look at all the broken pieces and to ask you what needs to be done about them. And God, we thank you for this list of people, this beautiful list and for their willingness to rebuild. God, we thank you that you never give up. And that you promise that when you begin something, you finish it. And so, Lord, we thank you that you called us to be part of your kingdom. To be those who usher in and build your kingdom. And so, Lord, would you break us of apathy Lord, would you stir up hope in us as you stirred up hope in Nehemiah and the people? Would you stir us up to look at the cracks and the leaks, Lord? And would you stir us up to rebuild, to put in those bolts and those bars and those gates? Lord, would you help us to be willing to say, God, in my life, in my home and in my sphere of influence, in me, Lord, Build your kingdom here. Amen.